Hello and welcome to the Start Here podcast for web development. My name is Dane Miller, and we're here to teach you how to build a career in web dev. You can find us online at starthere.fm. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Start Here Web Development. Thank you so much for joining me. We have a long Q&A episode today. It's going to be a ton of fun. I've got a ton of great content for you guys. But here at the beginning, I just wanted to touch on all of the different questions that we answered. I'm not going to, I'm probably going to miss some, but I wasn't able to fit all the questions in the title. So I'm just going to list all the questions and then you can decide if this is an episode that's for you. So some of the questions that we cover in detail are the state of React in 2017, the best JavaScript frameworks to learn for 2017. How to split up back-end and front-end, both cognitively and actually realistically in your applications, given that sometimes front-end and back-end are both complicated MVC structures in and of themselves. The next thing we discussed was, what is the fastest way to learn JavaScript? And what is my advanced beginner challenge for you? The next thing we covered is how to get your first freelance clients. I actually cover both the mindset and actual real tactics that you can use. I give you two very specific tactics to close clients and close contracts. The next thing we discuss is how to charge and structure your freelance client work. How do you actually charge for client work? How do you structure it over the long term? How do you deliver client work? How does that all work? What, is my, what are my thoughts on that? I've been doing client work for seven years now. I've worked with clients from $500 to $40,000 as a single person agency. So I, I have tons of great advice for you on this. The next thing we discuss is how to handle ageism in the workplace. The next thing we, we discuss is how to be adaptable in the face of challenge. And then at the very end, I give a little bit of a discussion on how to handle negativity in an organization and negativity perceived negativity as a web developer. And we cover all of those topics in great detail. I really enjoyed creating this episode for you guys, and it's a it's an honor to be able to produce this content for all of you. So please feel free to listen and write me either on Twitter or at my email uh, with any questions that you have. On Twitter, I'm at D-A-I-N-M-I-L-L-E-R, at Dane Miller. And on email, it's miller.dane at gmail.com. Dane spelled D-A-I-N. Shoot me any questions you got, and I'm going to keep doing these Q&A episodes every couple of weeks or every month at least. So feel free to get your questions in for the next one, and I hope you enjoy. First question. What do you think of React, Angular, and Vue? And what is your view of React as it fits in to the framework ecosystem in 2017? Thanks for this question. It's a great question to kick off things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save my opinions for Angular and Vue in a later question because I answer in depth sort of my thoughts on other frameworks in a later question. But I'll touch on the React one here. I think React is still at the same level of importance that it's ever been. And I say that to the extent that... You know, I've worked on maybe, you know, a lot in upwards of almost 20 sort of JavaScript applications. And what I've noticed is it's almost always a benefit to bring React in. 
almost always. And to, you know, now if I was starting an application and I knew in my head, it would be, you know, kind of complicated on the front end, or it would have kind of a, a front end dynamic, um, UI, I would definitely say one requirement is that we bring in React, right? That's very interesting because I've never in my past, I've never seen a technology kind of jump up to requirement level so quickly. Um, but, you know, React sort of em embodies that because it's all about the performance, right? It's all about the performance in some sense. Now, as far as how does React, so that's what I think of React, still at its level of importance, still something that I would almost require in all my projects, and it's something that I love to use. Um, so as far as how is React going to fit into the community in 2017, keep in mind React always mixes into another framework. You'll never just, you probably will very rarely just use React. It's a view layer thing, it's a sort of an efficiency play with the DOM, so there are other things on the front end that some people like to have, like the model layer. Some people like to have a, a sort of a controller, controlling layer, um, so or just a, a view model layer, right? So MVC or MVV. So keep in mind, you're always going to be mixing React into other frameworks. So that's the first thing to keep in mind because without remembering that, you can quite easily forget that you have to be an expert in another framework and React. Right, that's very key, and I'll, I talk about that in another uh, uh, question. But for this one, now that you kept in mind that React mixes in with other frameworks, the way I see it playing out in 2017 is very interesting. In 2017, they hope to release something called React Fiber. React Fiber is a re-implementation re of the React core. So they hope to completely rewrite React and then ship it in 2017. They've been working on it for about 10 months now, since about April 2016. So, and apparently almost the entire team is, is working on this, and it's a re-implementation of React's core algorithm. Um, now, as far as what is the benefit of this, we're looking at more speed, more performance. What you're looking at with React is kind of a... It's almost like a kernel development situation where we as JavaScript framework and library users, we, we have to be okay with the fact that React is not likely going to be one of those frameworks like Rails that ships new features every year. Instead, like a kernel, React is kind of going to be a play of efficiency. It's going to be one of every couple years, some major optimization that completely flips the efficiency way, you know, because the people working on this are insanely smart and they're constantly thinking of really interesting ways to handle this stuff. So, but that being said, it's not a, a library that's going to ship new features all the time, right? Uh, now, that being said, there, the community is so large, there's so many other libraries added on to React, like React Native, um, that not, that the React core team doesn't necessarily work on, but you can view React Native as like a cool feature that came out of React. So that will continue to happen. So I don't think, you know, there's going to be plenty of stuff to play with in 2017 as it comes to React, but keep in mind, we are kind of still waiting on this performance improvement. So... That shouldn't stop you from doing React. I still think it's a requirement to use in applications, but we are waiting for this performance improvement, and we're likely going to be waiting for that until sometime in 2017.
Uh, again, all of the, the React community and ecosystem seems to be vibrant, seems to be thriving. React Native is doing really well. Other, other frameworks that mix in React, like React and Redux sort of thing, are doing very well. There are a lot of things out there around the React world that are very... That, that identify to me that this is going to be around for a long time, right? It reminds me of the Rails type of enthusiasm. So this is something that will be here 10 years from now. You know, Rails has been here for 10 years. This is something that's going to be here for 10 years from now. So get into it now. If you've put off understanding React, get into it now. Um, trust me, if you could have gotten into Rails in 2003, I think that date is right. Um, let's just pretend it came out in 2001 or something, or 2000. If you could have gotten in at 2003, you would have had such an advantage from a hire, hiring advantage, um, a freelancing advantage, et cetera, et cetera. So here, React, um, if you learn this really well, there are actually people that are React consultants, right? So it, it is a great skill. So it is a great skill to learn. And that's... That'll wrap up how I answer that question. So that's my view on React in 2017. Again, Google React Fiber Architecture. Read the architecture document for the new uh, for uh, that they wrote for this. Uh, it's GitHub.com/acdlite acdlite/react-fiber-architecture. That is a very cool document to read. Next question. Now that there are a lot of JavaScript frameworks, jQuery, Angular, React, Vue, Ember, etc., what is your best take on the best path to learning JavaScript web development and which framework to look out for in 2017 as the best to learn? Cool, thanks for this question. So I still think my advice of learn a framework, not a language, is appropriate more so for JavaScript than almost any other language I can imagine because with other languages you can at least have scripts that you write that help you visualize things a little bit but JavaScript without node to interface with STD out standard out standard in um, you're kind of not even able to do that you could write some fun little you know type animation things in the Chrome console or in the Chrome browser um, I guess but a framework for JavaScript is really the best way to go because you really because you really just have that ability to visualize what you're doing, finding tutorials on uh, exactly what to build. I mean, the cool thing about frameworks to keep in mind is that tutorials are like how to build a blank app in this framework, right? How to build a blank app in this framework. Those are real life, real world tutorials or examples rather that will help you wrap your mind around JavaScript. Um, so that's the path to go. If you just, uh, alternatively, if you just Google JavaScript tutorials, I found that you'll have a lot less success. So if you want to learn JavaScript really quickly, Google how to build blank app in blank framework, right? How to build blank app in blank framework. Um, this is a, it's almost a skill to find the right tutorials, but if you just spend some time, you know, spend 30 minutes, it's not crazy to spend 30 minutes or even more, you know, per planning session of what tutorials you're going to do next, just looking online at all the available options. There's so many, I would go all the way down into Google's, you know, 10th page, 11th page, 
because you just you don't want to just concern yourself with the tutorials at the t at the first and second page because there are these massive websites like uh, that concatenate articles and sort of get freelancers to write articles for them and then link back and so they they dominate the first pages usually um, so you want to kind of dig deeper with these tutorials I'm, I'm I know this is very basic advice but I'm referencing it because I find it surprising how few people go beyond page two right it's surprising so make sure you do just I sometimes I even start at page three because of media bias right so and then as far as like what is the best framework to learn in 2017 so I just answered what is the best path to learn JavaScript in 2017 I still think it's frameworks and tutorials um, as far as like what is the best framework specifically to use I would say keep an eye on react try out view.js um, keep an eye on react use react in another frameworks projects um, so like for instance I would if I were you learn probably angular ember meteor or view pretty expertly if I were you I would pick one of those and kinda learn it expertly then I would become an expert at integrating react into that framework because again keep in mind react is mostly the view layer in in some sense react is much less of a framework than it is a library so it would be you to kinda learn one of these other big frameworks uh, and this will also increase your JavaScript skill, but also it increases your job marketability. You're able to market yourself to certain employers much better when you have this sort of specialty. Um, so I would pick one of those big four and kind of dig in on it. There are other ones too. You could go online and find other ones and, and really dig in on that one. So that one would be my primary focus, you know, every day, 10 to 30 to 45 minutes to an hour no matter what, kind of immersed in the world of that framework, right? So I would have the Twitter for that framework, the hashtags like this IRC for that framework, there's the GitHub, there's huge communities around these frameworks and I would make sure that you dig in very deeply into the community. This is, this is a secret that very, or this is advice that very few people take, it ends up seeming like a secret to me most people kind of skirt around the outer edges of information. What the best way to approach this is to go deep and dive right in to the community. So immerse yourself, just so, so immersively, like just immerse yourself in all their forums, any kind of place that they communicate, any kind of place they hang out. Um, you know, for Ember, I want you to, I take this so seriously, this advice that for Ember.js, if you picked Ember, um, and, and React, so I, I told you pick one of the four and then also React. So let's say you picked Ember plus React or Angular plus React. So let's say it's Ember. What I would want you to do is read all of the meeting notes from all of the core team meetings on GitHub, right? Then I would want you to tell me, I would want you to be, I would I want to be able to ask you something like this. What is uh, what is uh, YCAT's day job company, right? What what is it called? Like I would want you to know all of the uh, the core team members of that language, and I just would want you to have all this information about this community, right? Reading the meeting notes, like going to GitHub, reading the RFC, 
looking at all the profiles on GitHub of everybody that's committing to this, looking at all of their commits, seeing what they're focused on, seeing what they're doing, looking at the repos that they're committing to outside of Ember, seeing what other things this community, you just basically want to get this massive mind map of the community and immersing yourself in this way. That's by far the fastest way I've found to do this. So my advice, learn a framework, for this question at least. Uh, my advice, learn a framework, then as far as which framework to pick, pick one of the big four, Ember, Angular, Vue, Meteor. Meteor is a little question marky there and Vue is still up and coming. So I would really put a big question mark on that fourth slot and let you go online and pick one. Um, it's really not so important. It's just important that you learn one. It's more important that you learn one than any specific one that you learn, trust me. Then get good at integrating React into that framework. That means you also have to become pretty familiar and pretty expert level at React. So keep that in mind. I've studied web dev for a few months and have a good understanding of Node.js and JavaScript and can build a simple app. I am struggling though to understand how to structure my front end and back end and keep MVC separated. I know there are things like meanjs.org that can give you an out-of-the-box structure, but I feel lost when looking at all the stuff that is generated and that I don't know how to use, such as Mocha, unit testing, passport, etc. Okay, so the first thing is it sounds as though you're not asking me about how to structure stuff in the back end or front end because you use the term how to keep MVP separate MVC separated. You use that sentence. So that tells me you already understand MVC and you're already probably using a Node.js framework that gives you an MVC-like structure on the back end. And you might be using an MVC-like framework on the front end. It sounds to me, and I could be getting this question totally wrong, but you, you specifically, it, it sounds like you're asking, how do you separate the back end from the front end? And what does that divide look like? And what is the... Um, sort of what is the best way to approach those two separate megalith structures um, that, you know, in some applications, the front end and back end become equal megaliths, right? So the first piece of advice that I have here is keep in mind that adding a huge front end structure sometimes isn't the best path to go, you know, so that's not always the best path to go. Um, adding microservices is not always the, the best path to go, you know, <laughs> you really have to ask yourself, do I want to let, uh, add every call. Do I want to wrap every call in HTTP? That's what you're asking yourself if you move to a microservices architecture or AMPQ or something like that. So these sort of transmit protocols, you have to wrap everything in a transmit protocol, right? So on the front end and back end, keep in mind that everything is wrapped in AJAX, right? So you're, you're going to be saving data with AJAX from the front end to the back end. So imagine them as two circles in space. And the, the front end circle only is going to communicate with the back end circle with AJAX calls that save data. And then it'll also request and fetch data as well. Um, and the way that this happens, this, this connection should really be the only connection between these two uh, pieces of your application architecture. Normally, you'll have them totally isolated. So the front end will be like a totally different folder structure. 
And in fact, a lot of people go so far as the front end is a completely separate repository. I don't necessarily recommend that. I've done that before twice and I've done it. I've not done it many more times and I don't know which I like more. It's definitely more work. It's definitely more work to have multiple repos. So, you know, you might have a huge front end repo for your app and you call it, you know, let's say it's a bidding app. So you have bidding app front end and then you have a huge repo for the back end, bidding app back end. Let's say the back end's in Node, the front end is in Ember. Um, the front end is going to have models, just like Envision, you know, these are very similar in some sense. If you use this, if you use certain frameworks, the front end and back end can be very similar. And that's really the beauty of using Rails and Ember, right? So, or um, Node and some kind of complementary Node framework on the front end, maybe. So, um, actually, Sales.js was a great node. We used Sales.js uh, in government, and it's a great sort of Rails-like API-specific MVC stack for nodes backend. And then on top of that, you can add Ember, and it's quite nice. Um, or you can add Ember and CoffeeScript, which is also a little bit better. So then you have these two sort of areas, and... The point I was trying to make there is on the back end, you already know that models connect to the database, right? So on the front end, the cool thing about using frameworks that are so synchronous like this, that match so perfectly, um, the models on the front end, guess what they're going to do? They're going to fetch data from its data source, from their data source. And their data source just happens to be the back end. Right, and the back end models fetch data from its data source, which just happens to be the database. So, in this sense, it's very easy cognitively to separate these. They're in totally separate repositories or file structures, they're cognitively separated in your brain. Um, one is Rails, one is Ember. Um, if you're working in Node and JavaScript on the server and JavaScript on the front end, that can be kind of mentally more complicated. I've in my experience, which which sounds weird, it sounds like that would be less mentally complicated. But I found Rails and Ember to be the less the the least complicated to build massive scale app, uh, applications by far by far. Um, it plus it plus React, so Ember you know Ember slash React, because again React is just a library, right? So we want to add it to all of our projects in some sense. So that's really, you know, some thoughts that I had. And as far as you not understanding Mocha, unit testing, passport, enough of this, um, enough of this mindset here, looking at all the crap that is generated, that's your quote, looking at all the crap that is generated. Don't think that way. What, what is that? Get out of here with that. Learn Mocha, learn unit testing, learn passport. I don't even know what, what your, what mindset that is. That's not even a real thing. You need to learn those and then you can choose to not like them, right? You can learn them and be like, ah, you know, I don't really prefer doing it this way. I, don't, I like um, Jasmine testing instead of Mocha, right? Or you might say, you know, I don't really use unit testing that much. I, I prefer kind of an integration layer testing or something like that. So after you've really learned those, uh, you can you can then have an opinion on them. But you said here that I don't know how to use. So it's not crap. You don't know how to use it. Um, invert that mindset or that will lead you down the wrong path, trust me. Your job as a front-end web developer, especially JavaScript and not even front-end, your job as a JavaScript developer 
is to be so obsessed with learning new stuff that it almost seems insane. I'm telling you right now, to be a successful JavaScript developer, you have to be so much more adaptable than any other language community I've worked in by far, by far. Every single team that I've worked on that starts a new JavaScript project, the technology is different. I've worked on maybe 19 large-scale JavaScript applications, and every time we start a new one, even if it's the same team, I haven't done this a lot, but one time I was on the same team and we did start two, one right after the other, and even then, we switch technologies. I've never worked on one that had the same technology except Node on the back end and uh, Ember on the front end. I've done that a couple times. Um, and Rails on the back end and Ember on the front end. I've done that a couple times. But every other time, it's totally different. So, so your job really is one of a, a super learner, a, program, a JavaScript super learner. So any, any of this, that's why I'm really calling out this negative, this minor, minor, word that you used crap and I'm ex I'm sort of blowing it up in this instance because in JavaScript you being a super learner part of that is predicated on a positive mindset I don't know any super learners in any programming language or any core team members that are super negative so that's it for that question next question from Alan this time I, I haven't been reading names unless they explicitly told me I could I signed this Alan said I signed up at Free Code Camp and I don't have much success learning JavaScript. I have read countless resources online and books. Now I'm working through the Odin project. I can build a but I still can't build a simple JS calculator using jQuery. I feel like I'm not improving and becoming a JS developer. I listened to your podcast and the motivation was encouraging. Is there any advice or resources you could share with me? I want to learn to become a web developer and I'm struggling to blah, blah, blah. Okay, so Alan, here's what you got to do. Find a framework, and I answered this in, the last, in one of the last questions, but I'll just re-say it again for you because you're having some problems. If you don't ever feel like, I, I actually, this is much better, so I'll say it this way. If you ever feel like you're not making enough progress learning something, it's because typically you don't have a pointed enough line that you're traveling down towards a destination, right? So if you're just like kind of trying to learn JavaScript, that, that's not even a real thing. I don't even know what that means. You know, I'm like, you're at free code camp trying to learn JavaScript by learning like VARs, like looping and stuff. I don't even know what that means, right? What you need to do is have a pointed direction that you're traveling towards a destination. And so for you, what I recommend is I would pick a framework, then find Google how to build just and then stop and then put plus, and then my framework name. And you'll find a ton of tutorials on how to build certain applications in the framework, right? Now, what I want you to do is I call this my 10, uh, I'm kind of trying to play with the name of it, but I'm calling this my advanced beginner challenge. So then take the advanced beginner challenge, and that is to read 10 tutorials and do 25. You can do the same ones that you read, but the whole point is that you have to read the tutorials before you do them to, to gain that context, to gain that very valuable context. So read 10 tutorials, then do 25, and 
through that time, through that period, what you're going to do is you're going to continually have pointed directions that you're traveling. So the tutorials are going to be like how to build a to-do app in Ember, right? How to build a to-do app in Node.js. So these give you an implicit goal. This is like goal hacking, right? If you can't you know, you as an individual can't make your goal and then find all the resources online to get you to your goal. If you can't do that, then find other people that give you apps to build step by step and execute on their goal. Just simply do them over and over and over again. Uh, that's the best way to, to learn JavaScript and that's the best way to not feel like you're not making progress. If you want to avoid that feeling of I'm not making progress. It's as easy as adopting somebody else's goal because a lot of people can't pick a goal and then find resources online that get them to that goal. A lot of people don't even know what goals they want. They're within that action. If I told 10 people, pick a goal and then find all the resources online to meet that goal. And I'm not talking about development. Let's say it could be I want to be a real estate investor, anything. Most people couldn't do that. And the reason they couldn't do that is because they don't even know what the goal is. They usually, if they, if they do have a goal, it's not the correct type of goal. It's a little bit too nebulous. It's a vision. It's not a goal. You know, it's not specific. It's not measurable. And then, let's say they do have that, then they have to be good at finding resources. They have to put in the time, put in the hard work. A lot of people want things and they don't work for them. They just kind of sit around and complain. So, you know, and then beyond that, they could have the hard work, they could have the goal, but then, you know, they might not have the map. You know, they might have, uh, they might be going in the wrong direction, right? They could be looking at resources for the wrong thing. So they have to find somebody that's done it before that they can copy and sort of get their map. And so, there's so many problems with most people when it comes to this sort of process. So for you, just hack this process and say, I'm going to do 25 tutorials. But the key is the tutorials have to be how to build blank with blank framework. Right? So it's like I'm trying to get you to do like build app tutorials. So like how to build a blank web app in blank framework. That's the kind of tutorials you, you want to do for this sort of assignment of, of that because those are the most pointed goals. And also, when you're done with those tutorials, you're going to have the most fun playing with them, right? And you can even go so far as like, I want to build, it doesn't have to be an app necessarily, it could be a game. So you could say, I want to learn how to, or you could Google how to build blank, uh, like snake, how to build snake in JavaScript using Ember or React, or, you know, you could kind of find tutorials like that, how to build blank game, and you could use Google to kind of try to, to get clever with the queries such that you find all games written in Ember that you could kind of play around with, and then you go to GitHub, and you look at source code, and then you go and read the tutorials, and then you go do a bunch of the tutorials, and then you build a bunch of these games or web apps, uh, and then at the end, you're like, holy shit, I know JavaScript and I don't even really know how it happened. I just did a bunch of stuff and now I know it. That's the way to do it. It's like, don't sit back and look forward and wonder if you can or will or do like enough of that. Don't sit back and look forward. Instead, just start doing stuff. And then eventually you'll look back and be like, oh, I know it now. I don't even know how or when it happened. I just do. So Alan, that's my assignment for you. Hope it helped. Next question.
I'd appreciate any advice you have for a person that is getting into JS web development. How does one get paid to learn when their skill set is so limited and or how to get your first gig? This is a really good question. Thanks for asking. I will try to not touch on the learning aspect of JS web development because in the past questions I've answered a bunch on like how to learn JS. Um, this one, what I would say is how do you get paid to learn when your skill set is so limited? So here's what I want you to do. Think in, when you're ask yourself this question and try to use logic to answer it, right? You don't always need a mentor in life. Sometimes you can answer things for yourself that, that oftentimes we feel like we can't. So for you, ask yourself the question, how do I get a job in something when I have very little skills? Let me actually make sure that was your exact question. How does, yeah, how do I get paid to do something when my skill set is so limited? Now, use, let's use logic, right? What is the gist? What is the gist of this question? Most people overcomplicate simple things and undercomplicate complex things. So that's our tendency. So let's, this seems like a simple thing. Let's, let's make sure we don't overcomplicate it. So let's ask ourselves, what is the gist of this? How does one go about getting paid to do something when my skill set is so limited. Well, there's always, it seems, people that want different levels of service, right? If I was a welder, or no, let's say I was a sculptor, there would probably be people that want to buy a very basic sculpture, probably. And there would be people that would want to buy an expert's sculpture. So for you, no matter where you are on the spectrum, there's people that are probably at a on the other end of your service requesting you that you can't see because they might be budget constrained, they might need a quick hacked website, a quick hacky website just to get up and running. They might need a quick JavaScript script for just real quick for something for their job or something. And there's always somebody that needs your level of service, even if it's very basic. Now, let's say you're not even at that point. So that I will say there is some gap between you starting to learn JavaScript and then the point at, at which a beginner level service becomes viable in the market. There is a gap. So how do you cross that gap? Well, doing tutorials, as I mentioned, kind of getting that in your, in your brain, doing those tutorials and then putting them on your website, putting the, the output of them, the tutorials for how to build certain apps in JavaScript, doing those and then putting the final deployed versions on your website. And so another thing that I really want to touch on here is, is like this concept of how do you get paid to do something with very little skills? I, I, the first answer I gave you was kind of a positive one right, that there probably are more clients for you than you can see or think there are. So that's positive. Now let me give you the negative side because there's positive and negative to everything. So for this, if we just kind of, what is the gist here of this negative of thing that you're saying? What is the negativity behind what you're saying? You're kind of asking me how, you're asking me for a trick, it sounds like, how do I get paid for something when I don't have much skill? That sounds like asking